And for those of us who are staying in, if you have a Bible, uh, please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to read the first seven verses together. Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a, a, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We thank God for his truth. I've noticed that over this past number of years, there are certain slogans that have been used chiefly in advertising, and they've had the ability of being able to stick in our, in our minds. Uh, things like uh, Nike, which is just do it, or you've got Apple, which is think differently, or uh, for those maybe a little bit closer to home, you've got Kentucky Fried Chicken, which is... I see even Harry knows that one. There we go. Uh, but there's another one that I just want to think. It's not from advertising, um, but it's a phrase that I'm sure will, you will remember from a number of years back. It's not going to get out of your heads anytime soon, I imagine. And I have a, an image just to go with it. And it is, we're going to build a wall. Okay, I'm not going to make any political comment upon that, but I'm going to try and use that phrase now to give us some background uh, into the Bible to help us understand what God has been doing and, and the way that, that God has been working. Um, this idea of the wall would be central to the, uh, the Jewish temple. And I'm going to try and talk about, the, give a little bit of background now to the Jewish temple, how it worked, and, and understanding that so much of that would have been because the, the architecture is like a visual aid. And so God, even through the actual building, was teaching this people something, even in the way in which the building was laid out, the way in which they were forced then to, to worship 
was teaching them something about God himself and also about how God was to be worshipped and how God was to be approached. It was understood that this was the place where God supremely dwelt in the world. But what the, the, the temple was was a series of walls. Uh, if you imagine the, the, the greatest, the most holy place, as, as it was called, the place where it was understood that God dwelt uh, was at the very center of, of, of the temple and was called the, the Holy of Holies. And in that, you will remember, been reading the Bible, there was the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and then either side of that, either side of the covenant, the gold covenant seat or the seat of atonement, there were the two cherubim and between that it was understood that the very presence of God was manifest. So this was the most holy place. It was a place that was so holy that one person, the high priest, could only enter into this little inner sanctum once a year and on that occasion he was to make atonement for the sins of all the nation. And he only went into that room on one occasion, once a year. And to keep everybody else out, because if anybody else came into that room, they would die. And so to keep it secure, they obviously built walls around it. So it was protected and it was marked out in that, in that case by walls. And outside of this area was the place where the priests worked. But it was only the priests who could come in to that area. And then to keep everybody else out, they built more walls around that. And outside of that area was the, the place where the Jewish men could come. And that was the closest that they could come to God. To God. And so that area, again, was marked out by a wall. And outside of that wall was the place where the Jewish women were able to come and they were able to get as close to God as they could come. And then outside of that was the place where... Uh, was I talking about the women there? I've forgotten. But outside of that was where the women were. And then outside of that, up beyond that other wall, was the place where anybody else could come. And so you had all these series of walls and what these walls were trying to teach was a visual aid and it was teaching something. Positively, we could see that it was teaching that sin is serious and you can't simply overlook sin and that God has a way of dealing with that. It's teaching us that, that sin is so serious and God is so holy. You can't just dander in at, on a whim of your own. So it's teaching something about God and about how we might approach God. It's teaching us what God is like. And so all of that's good and all of that is positive. And, and I get that. But also, negatively, it's telling us that you can't come close because there's a wall that you can't get past. And so all this constant visual aid, all these reminders were saying that you may not come any closer. But even that is part of the whole narrative of the Bible, it's the, the flow of the Bible's teaching because it's reminding us that God always had a plan and that even that aspect of how those people could worship in the Old Testament was ultimately looking forward to one who was going to come who would put it all right, one 
through whom we would be able to worship, one through whom we would be able to make peace with God. And of course, we understand that that person is Jesus. And so that was always part of God's plan. And just to reinforce that, I would like you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me just now. And whilst I'm not going to unpack these words, but I do want these words still to to, um, just sit upon our hearts so that we hear them and so that we understand what God has been doing for us in Jesus. And it talks about here Jesus being our peace, the one who makes peace with God. So it's Ephesians chapter 2, and let's just slowly read verses 14 through to 18. And describing Jesus, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations and his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near for through him. Through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. And while we don't have time to unpack all of that, surely what we are able to see is just that repeated phrase that is mentioned, and it's that word, peace. And that word, peace, I think must be a word that does connect with us. It's a word that connects with our hearts. Because how many of you have a sense that your life is not exactly as you would want it to be and that there is a sense of disconnect in that there is something that you know that you would want that is very different and that you do not experience peace. Now there will be some people here who absolutely love Christmas. And you love Christmas jumpers and you love Michael Bublé and you just, it's just wonderful. And then there are other people here for whom Christmas, of course, is, is a very difficult time of the year because as maybe some of you have been speaking and you've been speaking to me and you've been speaking to other people, that it has been stressful for you of late. You have been stressed out of your mind, just not simply by, out, through Christmas, but just what it has been for the last number of months. It may be uniquely this time of year is a reminder to you that things have not been great for you. You have, been, you have experienced bereavement or you have experienced loss. In some way, it may not even be your, your own health that you're anxious about, but you're anxious about the health of another family member, and so that is even more stressful. And so whether it's issues like that, whether it's relationship issues, whether it's family issues, it's simply a reminder for all of us that we need that experience of peace. And with that, I do want to return to 
Isaiah chapter 9, because this is how Jesus himself, the promised one, this child who was going to be born, he is described to us as being a peace that, of course, we recognize today that we need. And in this passage, which was written 700 years before Jesus was born, it was a prophecy saying that one was going to be born, a son was going to be given, and then he's given four titles, four names. He was called Wonderful Counselor. He was called Mighty God. He was called Everlasting Father. And the one that I want just to focus on this morning is Prince of Peace. Jesus is our peace. And I hope that even as we've been worshiping this morning, that as we come together, as we take time out of our regular lives, and when we're thinking about God, and that we are wanting to connect with God in that sense that we can experience something of this peace. And I trust that that has been your experience already at this point. But at the same time, I know when looking at people and looking around me that not all of us experience peace. Because we, we see what is going wrong with the world all around us. We see what is going wrong in people's relationships. So often, even in terms of, of marriage, you look at someone and you might even assume that that person, if they know and love Jesus and they're a Christian, and then you've got this other, they've got a girl and she knows and loves Jesus, and the two of them together, you think that that should work. But so we know that it's often it doesn't. And even Christian marriages are sometimes no different from those people who do not know and love Jesus at all. Where is the peace that people might want to know and experience? Or we think of financial strain. We hear so much of that in recent times. It may be that we've been earning our salary, and if you compare that to what you were earning five years ago, ten years ago, you may be earning more than you were at that point. But all that we constantly hear at the moment is about inflation and that prices are rising and we're not going to cope, and we wonder again, where is the peace? And all of that. You turn on the news, and what do you hear in the news? But you hear of, of shootings, you hear of, of, of bombings, you hear of pressure on the NHS, and we wonder at times, where is the peace in all of that? And so I turn again to that phrase with, that was used to describe Jesus, that name that we know that it is his, that he is the Prince of Peace. And in Hebrew, that's two words which are up on the screen behind me, which is simply that he is the Sar Shalom. And if I describe what those two words mean, Sar uh, simply means the captain or the chief or the one who's in control. It was in some ways taken up even by the, the phrase that was used to describe the, the emperor of Rome, that he was a Caesar. So even that's a compound of this Julius Caesar. And so we have a sense that that's who he is. He's the one who is the chief, the one who is in control. And then shalom, of course, it means that idea of tranquility, contentedness, rest, wholeness, complete, 
completeness. And when we compound those two words together, Sar, Shalom, we understand that this person, Jesus, is the one who is the captain of rest, the chief of rest, the one who is in control of peace. He is our prince of peace. But again, I ask the question, why is it that we today do not enjoy peace? Why do you not enjoy peace as much as you might want? Maybe to try and describe or understand why, I was put in mind as I was preparing of a trip that I had made a number of years ago to the Grand Canyon. And if you've been to the west rim of the Grand Canyon, you perhaps will have walked on that walkway that the Native Americans have made. And it is a glass walkway that they've pushed out from uh, the solid ground. And of course, uh, from that glass walkway, as you're looking beneath your feet, you can see a mile down. And that's not to everybody's liking. And so to make it slightly easier for people, what uh, they've also done is that they've made a, a little track of carpet around the center, the whole way around the center of that. So if you are a little bit squeamish about walking out on that, you can put your feet on the gray carpet. And if you keep to the middle and if you keep to the center, you can make your way out around the edge. And you can imagine to yourself, simply by looking at your feet, that you are actually standing on solid ground. But if you veer to the right or if you veer to the left of that piece of gray carpet, then you will suddenly realize where you really are. And then you can see straight down into the mouth of the canyon. And if we maybe try and imagine that that little track of gray carpet is the center position, and that it is that that gives a sense of peace as you are walking around that. We might describe that Jesus is the one who enables us to have and enjoy that sense of contentment and peace. But the reality is, in life, some of you are veering off from Jesus to the right or to the left and you're doing your own thing. You're making your calls about what you want to do with your life, and you don't want anyone to interfere with that because you say, I'm in charge of my own destiny, and I will do what I want to do. And of course, that is your call. But let's be honest, it's not hard then to work out why it is that you are not experiencing peace if you are deliberately walking away from the one who is the, should be the center of your life and the one who gives you the peace that you should be experiencing in life. That may be you, but it may also be you from this perspective that you're still stuck on the dry ground and you're not even walking or stepping out onto that walkway because you have not yet decided 
to fully commit yourself to Jesus Christ and not yet to fully follow him and that you're holding back from that and that that is the cause of you not experiencing the peace of Jesus Christ in your life because you have never taken that step of commitment. Am I thought even to you is at the end of one year and as we are about to start another year don't let any time go where you do not commit yourself fully completely and wonderfully into the arms of Jesus Christ so hopefully even as we think today of Jesus and who he is in terms of being the Sar Shalom the Prince of Peace in our lives and what he offers us. If there's two simple things that we can take away from this passage this morning about Jesus being our peace, what I want to remind you of, first of all, is that this peace that Jesus offers you comforts you. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14, 27. He said, peace I leave with you. And even as you remember that, and remember that verse, remember that this is not your attempt at getting and controlling peace, but this is genuinely the peace of Jesus himself that he is offering to you. And this is the peace that will comfort you. Jesus says it's a peace that the world cannot give. It's a, it's a peace that the world cannot even understand. But it is Jesus' peace. And he gives this peace to you. And he's offering this peace to you. So no matter what it is that you do with your life or how you spend your life or who you are or what is going on, on in your life, Jesus Christ is offering this peace to you. And not only is it a peace that will comfort you, but more importantly, it is a peace that saves you. Because this peace brings salvation. If I would also read Romans chapter 5, which begins that, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, it goes on to say, we have peace with God. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can have peace with God today, not because we try very hard. Or not even that I try to be the best boy that I can be. Or you can try to be the best person that you can be. But you can have peace with God today because you are trusting simply in Jesus Christ alone. That he is the peace, your Sar Shalom, who offers you peace even in turmoil. So that you may think today that your life is upside down and there's nothing that can be put right about that. You need a peace that is inward that will hold you. So take an inward look at your life today. And just consider what it is that you need. And even if your life is mixed up, and even if it is that you may be angry because you don't have what you thought you might want to have had, all that disorder and chaos actually points to the one who is offering you peace. And that is God's Christmas present to you. That's the one that you really need to grab hold of with both hands and to make your own. A peace that will comfort you and a peace that will save you.
Let's pause as we pray. Our God, you know each of us. And you know what is happening in our lives. You know what we are anxious about. You know when our lives are chaotic. You know what we are clinging to and holding to ourselves. Lord, our prayer today is that you truly might show us Jesus more fully. That you might speak, O God, into our hearts. That you might touch us afresh. Lord, show us that all that we have and all that we need is found in our Savior, Jesus. So, Lord, in the relative chaos of our lives, may we find this peace. May we know, Lord, that you are speaking to us and that you touch us and that we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it is the voice and it is the hand of the Lord himself. And it is in our Savior's name we pray. Amen.